1: Broadcasting across the world, in this our ninth year, we're broadcasting today from the centro-historical area of Mexico City, in Mexico, that's a big country just sort of below the United States. <laughs> it's a city with fabulous architecture, it's very multi- multicultural, there are around 1 million Americans living in Mexico City, there are 160 museums, more than any other place in the world. There are 100 art galleries, 30 concert halls with lots of popular and rock concerts, and the food is spectacular. Mexico's actually got got restaurants in the world's top 50, so put Mexico City on your bucket list. Now, as you probably know if you listen to this program, I spend a lot of time on planes, well, how many times have you done what I just did? Your flight leaves in 20 minutes. You want to say goodnight to your kids and your spouse before you get on the plane? Damn, the cell phone power is in the red zone. And your charger cord, well, that's in your checked luggage. So I'm certainly not going to go out and buy a new adapter at airport prices. I already have a whole bunch of them at home from the last 10 trips where I was <laughs> the charger was the only thing I forgot to bring. So I contemplated asking a guy that was, you know, sort of squatting on the floor next to a power plug, he was charging his phone, when I spot a free charging station, fabulous, where I can rapidly charge my device, and it's free. So I heave a sigh of relief and plug into the USB port so I can call the kids and put some selfies up on social media. I think I've got a big win here. But actually, my troubles are just beginning. Cyber criminals modify these USB charging stations and install malware on your phone or secretly download information from your phone or your computer. Plugging into a public USB port is like sitting in a toilet on Skid Row. You've got no idea what might be lurking there. And whatever it is, it won't be good. The public USB port can readily transport data, and these stations can be modified by cybercriminals to install malware on your phone or download information with you totally oblivious. These ports just simply act like a passageway from your device to the charging station. It's far safer to plug your regular charger into a power socket or to use a portable power bank. But if you must use a public USB port, you can get a little dongle gadget called Juice Jack Defender. Juice Jack Defender. You put it in front of your charging cord that basically blocks any data from passing down the cord. So if you don't have your own charger, you just stick in the dongle and put their cord into the dongle, and it won't pass anything but voltage. Now, new research from IBM Securities found that travellers are being increasingly targeted by hackers. It's so easy. The 2019 IBM X-Force report said that the transport industry was the second most attacked sector in 2018 after the financial sector. It recommends avoid using tech accessories such as charging cords or USB sticks that happen to be left behind by other people. Stay right away from them. These often contain a chip inserted by the cyber criminal, which allows them just to simply copy your information. So next time you're packing, double check, don't do like I do, and Make sure you take your phone charger. Do you get my daily 30 second read business newsletter? We've got about 1.8 million daily subscribers. It takes 30 seconds every day to read it, although I've written two this week that are about a minute and a bit. And uh, we tackle a different subject every day from advances in medicine to new apps to new technology to subjects like Hyperloop, autonomous cars, blockchain, and cyber currency, etc. In today's newsletter, I talk about 10 great startup frauds, so 10 startups who are just totally frauds, and there is great information in there about what you cannot do if you're a startup founder. You've got to be a little bit careful, so the one thing you can trust for the latest up-to-date business information is the Bob Pritchard newsletter, and to receive it, simply go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and subscribe. Now, while access to telehealth solutions has been growing as health systems and insurers adopt the technology, more than 40% of US consumers are still unwilling to use telehealth solution for general consultations. With the right incentive, though, I reckon providers and insurers must have a real opportunity to change consumers' minds. And I think once people get used to using telehealth I'll continually use it. Much easier to sit at home and and use telehealth than it is to drive across town and park your car and get a ticket and pay the fine and all the rest of it. And the 40% of people who said they wouldn't have their next general consulting remotely, 57% of those said they could be convinced otherwise. So let me just toss a couple of ideas at you that might work. How about if you go, then you follow up is free if you do it with telehealth. So those who initially said they wouldn't use a telehealth solution, 28% said they'd change their mind if a necessary follow-up consultation was free. So by offering a free in-person follow-up as a safety net if telehealth doesn't do the job, providers can instill confidence in their patients. Secondly, doctors could provide a discount. 29% of consumers who wouldn't attend a general consultation remotely said that 25 bucks toward the appointment copay, a gym membership or a gift card or pretty much anything would be enough to convince them to use a telehealth service. The small discount for patients who use telehealth could help providers realize significant cost savings or drive more revenue by serving a greater number of patients. In addition to incentives, providers and insurers could address consumers' reluctance to use these services by educating them about telehealth. Consumer awareness is far and away the biggest barrier inhibiting telehealth adoption, and providers are in a good position to promote telehealth to their patients. 44% of consumers say they would be more likely to recommend and more likely to try virtual care if their physicians recommended it. So I reckon telehealth's a great idea. I've used telehealth and it's, it's really simple. You don't have to leave your lounge room. It's wonderful. Now, Amazon's reportedly in talks with major record labels to roll out its own free ad-supported music streaming service. Now, until now, Amazon has offered its limited prime music service for members, plus standalone Amazon Music Unlimited subscribers for just 10 bucks a month. Well, that's not much different than Sirius or a lot of the others. According to Billboard, Amazon would start with a limited catalogue and pay record labels on a per-stream basis, regardless of ad revenue. So Amazon may also be able to make use of its label relationships from the good old days when it used to sell CDs. Remember those? Spotify's got 100 million paid subscribers. It's really the only subscriber-based streaming model with a free tier. But the industry leader, which has long struggled to become profitable, may be losing steam. Spotify, you don't hear that much about Spotify anymore. YouTube, which accounts for nearly half of global music consumption, has long rock-blocked paid streaming services, and Apple Music has strong numbers, but no free offerings. SoundCloud's recent positioning change pulled up its 175 million users out of direct competition. Although there are only about 20 million Amazon Music subscribers, Amazon will likely push on the Echo integration and look to pull conversions from its substantial prime base. When you've got a a base of 100 and whatever it is, million people, you got a lot of people to pull from. And rumor has it that the new ad supported service will be available through Echo speakers in the very near future. Now we love great stories, and you can add this one to that list. 83-year-old Wyoming-based Swiss entrepreneur hans Georg Weiss has donated $1 billion, that's a shed load of money, to save the planet. The Weiss Campaign for Nature is a $1 billion investment, which is going to help communities, indigenous peoples, and nations conserve 30% of the planet in its natural state by 2030. That's fabulous because we are losing so much of this world's natural state every day. So Weiss's Harvard Institute contributions aim to conserve natural environments, including public lands in the Western United States, Africa and South America. Weiss has a net worth of $5.6 billion. He's one of the most philanthropic people in the world, giving away another billion. That's a lot of money. That's 25% of his wealth he's giving away to save the planet, which is great. His primary philanthropic causes are the environment, social justice, and science. Their landscape protection strategies have included assisting in the purchase of mineral leases from oil and gas companies, which I'm all for. Other causes they support include river restorations, ocean conservation in Peru and Canada, anti-poaching efforts in Africa and environmental journalism. Now, this is all critical because our planet's wildlife and wild areas are disappearing unbelievably quickly. When you see the numbers, it's scary. Nearly 66% of the Earth's wetlands and 50% of all its rainforests are already gone. In the last 40 years, the planet's lost 60% of its wildlife population. 60% 60% in just 40 years. And this we've been around three and a half billion or whatever it is. And more than 26,000 wildlife and plant species are now at the risk of extinction. That's after we lost 60% already. Now to confront this conservation crisis, the Weiss Foundation is launching this $1 billion campaign. And the campaign's goal is to help conserve 30% of the planet in its natural state by the year 2030. It really needs to get a go on. We says that only by dramatically increasing the capacity of communities, indigenous peoples, and nations to conserve lands, waters, and wildlife can we help to, hope to safeguard the natural world upon which we all depend. I wonder if the bloody federal government's listening to this. I don't think so because we're mere people and I don't think they listen to mere people at all. They only listen to that one genius above all geniuses, he with the orange hair. Anyway, Mr Weiss, we at the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, we really applaud you for your endeavours in general and this billion dollars for... Um, saving the planet could be really a big step towards doing just that. Today's interview is with Tara Anderson, who is Technical Product Manager at the PR9 Network in England. And the PR9 Network provides real-time trading and settlement for blockchain-based assets, that are held in cold storage and network participants can securely and seamlessly exchange a wide range of digital assets really simply really quickly and once you're in there really inexpensively so it's a very interesting interview this girl is seriously smart and we had a great chat i enjoyed it immensely this is bob pritchard and i'll be back with tara in just a moment
0: Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Outless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick Ass Business and Marketing Secrets at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at Bobpritchard.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. We're over the past nine years, God, that's a long time to be doing this, isn't it? Um, we've given you an insight into the lives of some of the world's most interesting business people, We've uh, discussed their interesting new initiatives and we we talk to the entrepreneurs behind these projects about the services they provide, the challenges that they've faced to get there and we try to ascertain what it is that makes them tick, what makes these successful entrepreneurs unique, what is it that makes them succeed when 99%, the latest figures from Silicon Valley, 99% of all entrepreneurs fail today. That's pretty scary. Tara Anderson is technical product manager at the PR9 network. She was previously product manager at LendingBlock, which is a securities lending platform for cryptocurrencies and digital assets. And there she was responsible for defining the product vision, the roadmap and feature set, as well as creating all user requirements personas and user stories so while at lending block she was awarded the women in it award for young leader of the year so what that means is she's bloody smart and ambitious and dedicated and obviously a hard worker so prior to prior to that tara was program manager, digital media and product owner within the corporate and institutional digital department at HSBC, which, as you know, is a big global bank. And there she led the ID. idea, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, so I won't even say it the development and deployment of the bank's digital learning platform, Digital Download, which is a triple award-winning website, which focuses on improving staff awareness of new technologies and digital trends. So now she's at PR9 Network, and they provide real-time trading and settlement for blockchain-based assets held in cold storage. Now this is whether as long-term investment for staking All for client fund management. Network participants can securely and seamlessly exchange a wide range of digital assets to enhance yield on custodied assets. The network supports the issuing of a wide range of crypto assets, including Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum, Ethereum Classic, and Litecoin, with fiat and digitalized asset support to be rolled out in the near future. They're very low trading fees, and it enables high-volume, low-value transactions as well as high-value transactions. Hi, Tara. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Network. You are being heard right around the world. It's pretty scary, isn't it? Amazing. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Now, with HSBC, which I've always regarded as a typical legacy bank, traditional, conservative, Um, essentially ignoring consumer needs and providing lousy customer service. And uh, I also believe that they've got a limited future going forward. However, you're involved in their digital division. Are they more ahead of the curve than we think they are?
2: I'd say so, yeah. HSBC has certainly spent the last few years really focusing on the digital proposition. As you say, you know, no bank is immune to bad customer service reviews and uh, falling foul of uh, various scandals. So I think the bank was really trying to work hard to improve that image and focus back on the customer. And digital is obviously a key need for that. So the department that I was in specifically wasn't looking at the retail aspect of digital, uh, but the commercial and investment bank proposition for digital. So that's everything from improving the trading system to internal products for staff, such as the one I worked on.
1: Right. So they they essentially want to use the blockchain to speed up transaction times and uh, decrease costs while continuing to charge the public the same amount of money.
0: (laughs) Well,
2: I didn't work on any blockchain initiatives specifically, but there were quite a few that the bank was exploring, not only to look at trading. So uh, they had one pretty well-known project they were working on I think called WeTrade. But outside of that, they're also looking at blockchain for cryptocurrencies and just learning more about that space, as well as the tokenization element and just finding out a little bit more about what blockchain could do for the various parts of the bank. So it was quite a lot of exploratory work going
1: on. Are all the banks doing that or is HSBC out ahead?
2: I think all of the banks are certainly interested in the topic of blockchain or cryptocurrencies, whether they've got POCs running or just wider educational programs. They recognize that this is a technology that's here to stay, that is going to be used, and is certainly being used by their customers. So uh, from what I've seen, certainly all the banks are at least
1: dipping their toes in the water. Okay, so you're trotting along very nicely at HSBC. How did you get to be engaged by PR9 Network?
2: So I joined HSBC on the commercial graduate scheme and I did a number of Frontline placements there, the traditional bread and butter banking. But for me, my interest has always been in the technology side of things, and um, specifically Bitcoin and uh, blockchain. After coming across that during a third-year cryptography module at university, so I left the graduate scheme around uh, a year early and joined my role within the corporate and co- uh, corporate and institutional team to take on a digital transformation project. But there was always a part of me that wanted to do more and go full-time in the blockchain industry. So after uh, launching my product, uh, second release of the product, I decided it was time to go full-time into the industry. And that's when I left to join LendingBlock. I was there uh, for nearly a year and then had this fantastic opportunity to join the PR9 network. And I thought it was a really exciting project and a fantastic time to join. So I joined there uh, around about two months ago
1: now. I think you made a very good calculation there. Um, so, what does PR9 Network stand for? Just the words. So
2: it's, yes, it's uh, it's it's really a acronym of our co-founders' names and then the age of their children. So it's it's a bit ethereal. We are going to look at a rebranding. Oh. Because we're not a PR network, which we're often mistaken for as well. So, yeah, there will be a rebranding exercise.
1: (laughs) That's one way to do it, yeah. It's not a very good way to pick a name for a company, but I guess it's one way. Um, So, tell me a bit about the PR9 network, apart from the fact that the um, founder is an egocentric. Apart from that, how does it work? Yeah, so you gave a a really good overview of it uh,
2: in the introduction, but it's a a real-time trading and settlement network for blockchain-based assets held in cold storage. The idea is that it's the best of both worlds, so you you have the ability to keep your assets in cold storage whilst trading a replicated balance on our network. So we have a traditional open order book for market and limit orders, as well as the ability for direct peer-to-peer transactions.
1: So how big... Do you have to be to be able to use PR9 network? Does this work for um, large quantities of of holdings in, in digital vault or is it for everybody?
2: It's so targeting the institutional market, but the technology that we're building on would easily lend itself to a retail market. So certainly something which we might look at adding onto the roadmap uh, in the future. But for now, as I said, institutional markets, so the kind of uh, values that you'd expect of institutional clients, and also typically mirrors the types of balances that people would hold in cold storage anyway.
1: So more and more... Um hedge funds and all sorts of other people are getting into holding or trading cryptocurrency. Is it growing as fast as we're led to believe it is? From what
2: I'm seeing, it certainly seems to be, I think um, only this earlier this month, Fidelity put out a report that said 22% of institutional investors had some level of exposure to digital assets. And wow. I, I think that's just going to continue to grow. People want more diversification in the assets they're holding. They want to understand more about the digital assets and and hopefully uh, seeing the growth of them continue. We are obviously coming out of one of the biggest bear markets uh, in crypto's history. So I think, again, it's going to be really interesting to see now as the price hopefully continues picking back up where this leaves institutional investors.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because institutional investors, um, if they go into um, traditional types of investment, they're returns are very low if they go into the stock market they're really punting with a potential big downslide shortly um, and and cryptocurrencies showing them a, um, a potential huge growth forward, so it would be smart to put some of your assets into crypto, wouldn't it?
2: Exactly, I mean it's highly volatile and that's something that we shouldn't ignore, so it's certainly not one to put all of your assets in, but then that would be a, a pretty bad choice for any investment class. So I think what we're going to see is more people dipping their toe in the water, having a little bit of holding, seeing how that goes, uh, and like I say, diversifying across as well. At the moment, the concentration is certainly heavily on kind of Bitcoin, Ether, uh, maybe down to Bitcoin cash. But I, what we'll hopefully start seeing is that diversification out into some of the top 10 uh, coins, maybe top 15.
1: Yeah, 'Cause are the sensible ones to invest in, aren't they? Outside the top fifteen, you're real it's really, um, um just picking a horse in a race, isn't it? To a large degree. But
2: yeah yeah certainly i mean it's such an asset market it's only 10 years old as an industry so we're going to have some big winners some big losers there's i think it's over 2200 cryptos in the market at the moment obviously not all of those are going to succeed but like in the dot-com boom not all of those succeeded but you only need a few to come through uh to really kind of see your returns. so i think what we'll see is yeah, certainly investment outside of the top three or five which is where it's concentrated at the moment Some of the projects that are in the top 10 might not exist in 10 years and some that are in the top 100 might skyrocket up. But at least having that awareness and having that diversification of assets across should hopefully make sure that you're backing a winner but you just never know in this industry or investing generally.
1: What are some of the long shots that you've got in your portfolio? (laughs) Uh,
2: Well, I've always been uh, a fan of the protocol levels uh, as well as the products. So I tend to, to spread my holdings across both uh, the products and protocols. I think that's uh, the safest way to do it. But again, you know, it is a a big bet of the unknown. You've got to read the white paper, keep a track of uh, the team, see what they're doing. And uh, I'm certainly nowhere near to being a millionaire yet from any of my long shots. So I wouldn't wouldn't recommend just copying my portfolio.
1: Would I be right in saying that um, if you're sitting out there and you're wondering, um, you haven't invested in crypto, you don't know that much about it, that you stick to, um, to be safe, <laughs> safer, you stick to um, uh, platform type um, cryptos like the the Ethereum's and the EOS's and the um, Ripples and those those types of um, investment
2: really depends on everyone's appetite. You've obviously got uh, like Bitcoin, Ethereum, which are the, the classics that everyone knows about, but they are as volatile as, as many of the other currencies. If, you're, if you have slightly more of a, um, a wider risk appetite, then maybe you want to go for some of the, the kind of lower cap coins. But if you're just getting interested and uh, want to test the water, then some platforms and exchanges provide kind of buckets of assets where you invest, say, £10 and you get a spread across the top five or, or whatever basket they've chosen. So that can be a good way if you want to dip your toe in the water and get involved without putting too much risk. Um, I have many of my friends are asking me, you know, what crypto should I buy? And I always say, you know, you've got to put in what you're willing to lose. It's a highly volatile market. Certainly don't put too much in to start with because this level of risk certainly isn't for everyone and it's by no means a guaranteed return in fact you'll probably lose more than you gain certainly at the beginning so yeah not for everyone um, and yeah you really got to be careful to make sure that you're investing only as much as you're willing to lose
1: yeah i think if you're if you're going to recommend um, cryptos to your friends there's only one thing you can be absolutely guaranteed of and that's that you're going to lose your friends. <laughs> 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 I wasn't aware and I haven't come across, which is interesting because I've been in the crypto space for quite a while. I haven't come across um, people offering baskets of coins. That's really an interesting idea. Um, has that been around for a while? It's the first time, and I've interviewed probably 50 people about, about, Various forms of crypto, and uh, no one's ever mentioned that to me.
2: Yes, yeah, so it's fairly recent. I can't remember when I saw it, but um, it's offered by Coinbase. So you put in, say, so ten, fifty pounds, and they give you an exposure across five or however many uh, coins they support. And it really is aimed at the retail market, those that want to get some exposure uh, without the kind of active trading that you'd maybe need on the higher volumes if you're picking coins yourself
1: if you're going to if you're going to invest in in coins, do you um do you need to can you sit on them or do you need to trade them to make any money? Definitely
2: both. So it depends your kind of level of uh, trading experience and your risk tolerance and how much time you've got as well. Some people just want to uh, in um, it's an industry term you've heard before, I'm sure, but hodl. So just sit on it, hope it rises to astronomical levels. Uh, and others want to maybe day trade, week trade, or, or maybe have a career out of trading the assets. So both can certainly be ways of uh, hopefully generating an income and uh, it depends on the, the personal level of experience.
1: Yeah, I've, I've, I've found that trading's pretty tricky because you, you're never quite sure where, where the um, where the top is or the bottom is despite all the charts and everything else. It's a hard one. Um is Bitcoin really um, a great investment because there's such a limited number of them? There's only what 18 million or something at the moment. There's never going to be more than what 23 and a half million. So it's a scarcity value rather than a um, a real, you know, anything that's got any real asset backing to it.
2: Yeah, so it's, it shares the kind of property like gold, I suppose, and that's the, the scarcity, um, aspect to it. But obviously, it's also the first crypto that was around. So it carries some value from that naturally. And, you know, you can't um, forget that it has a use case. You know, people do use Bitcoin to send as a global payment peer-to-peer without an intermediary. Sure, so sure. You no, know, there is value in it both intrinsically and extrinsically. Obviously, some people put slightly more weight on one or the other or, or dispute it. Uh, but for me, yeah, I see Bitcoin as being highly valuable in certainly those three regards. And yeah, like you said, the fact that there'll only ever be 21 million of them means that at some point, you know, you will only be able to get a Bitcoin if someone sends it to you rather than if you mine it yourself.
1: Sure. So, what differentiates the PR9 network from other protocols?
2: So for us, we're looking at really focusing on the the network aspect. So that's bringing together multiple custodians. For us, it's really about uh, bringing together the aspect of cold storage and trading, something which at the moment you can choose either or. So what we are doing is pulling all these custodians in so you don't have an intranetwork, you have a network of multiple custodians and you could be a customer with custodian A, I could be a, custod- a customer with custodian B, we can trade on the piano network and our custodians will settle at end of day between them. So that's something which we think is really powerful, it's bringing the liquidity out of just one custodian and across a much wider and deeper pool. We're also focusing on choosing a sensible technology you know the industry has been abuzz with uh, blockchain for you know insert pretty much any use case that sure. doesn't mean that blockchain is the right choice so for us we're really spending a lot of time building down that value proposition and making sure that the tech stack that we're using really solves the problem that we're looking to solve we're also and you know again this is something which uh, we're seeing as a as an industry trend Looking at charging ultra-low trading fees, the exchanges are already starting to do this as well. Um, we think this is really important because it's going to allow high-volume, low-value transactions sure. as well as high-value transactions.
1: Sure. So you you deal with people like <coughs> the vaults and those sorts of people, right?
2: Yeah. So any custodians people have heard of, but we're looking to work with you know Vault, Coinbase, BitGo, all the top-tier custodians that provide obviously a really good service but high quality security
1: right how, how important is that security you, you, i've got um crypto and i've got it stuck in a number of wallets around the place um is that is that really risky
2: yeah so we've, we've seen hacks already this year sure. um finance that what was that two weeks ago Binance around 40 million taken um i think it's Yeah, billions have been taken over the last few years from attacks, whether it's social engineering or direct attacks at exchanges. So keeping your funds on an online wallet or with an exchange carries the risk associated with that. If you have it in cold storage, then the risk is hopefully a lot lower in that you'd need some kind of physical attack to, to kind of penetrate into maybe the military grade bunker or the multiple levels of security that it's hidden within. So it is a much safer option. The downside of that, of course, is that because it's so safe, uh, it takes a while to get it back out. So if you want to, let's say, the price of Bitcoin skyrockets and you want to take your Bitcoin out of cold storage and sell it, this can take a couple of hours and you might lose uh, the potential profit you were looking to
1: make. It's also bloody expensive, isn't it?
2: It, yeah, it can be very expensive, but I suppose that's uh, the price you pay for security, whether you've got crypto or you've got diamonds and you're trying to store them in Hatton Gardens, that security does come at a premium.
1: Yeah, but if you're, I mean, even if you, it seems to me that if you've got, even if you've got a, and I may be wrong, but even if you've got a million bucks worth of crypto um, and you use a vault, then you've got very substantial setup fees. And then you've got a, a reasonable percentage every time you, um, then I think they charge you holding fees and then you get um, more fees when you trade. Um, so for somebody that's relatively small, which I guess a million dollars is, then you um, it, it, it eats away that a lot of that profit.
2: Yeah, I mean there's other options as well. So if you've got, you know, slightly less holdings, then there's hardware wallets like Trezor Ledger that provides fairly cheaper services. There's also the kind of ultimate free option, which is a paper wallet. So you know, write your private key down on a piece of paper uh, and and hide it, bury it, do whatever you want with it. But that's storage so depending on how much security you feel you need your level of holdings that you've got there's a myriad of d- different options available and cold storage with a custodian is one uh, it's the, the kind of most managed uh, in that like like you say you know there's someone there holding it protecting it helping manage your transactions you can put approval processes in place but if you don't feel you need that then there are other options that are of course cheaper and, and slightly uh,
1: easier yeah so who are your target users?
2: So we're targeting institutions. So that's everything from hedge funds, family offices, uh, exchanges, high net worth individuals, anyone that has a significant amount of crypto and currently feels that pain of keeping it in cold storage but but wanting or needing to take it out to be able to trade it. So those are the people that we're targeting with the PR9 network uh, as well as you know custodians more generally because they're the ones holding these assets They've got customers who are requesting to withdraw maybe, you know, multiple times a day that incurs fees. It's obviously operationally intensive for them. So having a network like PR9, which allows users to trade their balances on a layer two solution, uh, means it's obviously less operational work for them and certainly uh, cheaper due to transaction fees at the end of the day for reconciliation rather than for every single transaction that they're sending out to a client.
1: That makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense Yeah, we think so too. <laughs> yeah, it's only an
2: industry pain point. Um, you know, anyone that has crypto and cold storage knows that whenever you need to take it out, you know, you have to go through a process. It's not fast, you wouldn't want it to be super fast, otherwise you'd probably draw some questions about the security
0: You're, of it. Yeah, it sure.
2: costs funds. So this really is is a marriage of the world between security and trading. And when we spoke to people at consensus, where we were last week, uh, certainly the the industry generally and everyone we spoke to said, Ah, yes, this is a problem. That sounds like a really good solution for it. So we certainly think that this is a great time to be kind of releasing more information about the PR9 network and then really building out the
1: proposition. How long has the PR9 network been going?
2: So it's been heavy research and development for the last few months. As I say, we've really focused on the core of choosing the right technology stack for the problem and also a really customer-centered design on the network. So often with technology problems, uh, it's, it's built from day one, kind of go, go, go. What we've really wanted to do is make sure that we're talking to network participants. Uh, we're bringing together a council that's everyone from um Custodians through to potential clients, industry experts, to make sure that we're building a solution that's fit for all, because it's a network effect rather than just building it for one custodian or one client. So that's meant a lot of the early work that we've been doing is really building out the proposition and and making sure that we're building it in the right way. Uh, So it hasn't been going for too long, but the work that we've done has really been about driving that together and making sure that we start in the best possible way.
1: What barriers um, exist in the blockchain and cryptocurrency industry um, and what needs to be done to overcome what, whatever barriers there are so that we get much more mainstream adoption?
2: Yeah, so it's yeah, such a relevant question. I think for me and especially with my kind of background in HSBC, uh, it's knowledge. So, one thing I really focused on there was building up knowledge and awareness about digital trends generally, but as blockchain is my kind of favorite technology, certainly around blockchain. When people understand it, they're able to apply it in uh, better use cases, they're able to see the benefits of it, maybe why it shouldn't be used in certain circumstances. And I think 2017 was trying to make blockchain mainstream but by just applying it to every use case going and that's really not a a sensible way so more knowledge and awareness would, uh, would certainly help make sure that blockchain is hitting the mainstream but in the tools and products that it's applicable for i also just think we need more time you know it's a 10 year old industry it needs to mature it needs to stabilize we need to test the use cases continue innovating and Increase awareness. So I think all these all these things, you know, knowledge and, and time, more generally, should lead to better uptake of blockchain businesses and products. Uh, and make sure people understand the technology a little bit more because it can be a bit frightening for people. It's complex. You know, I'm very fortunate that I have a maths degree. So for me, understanding the technology is probably a little bit easier than someone who doesn't have, you know, third-year cryptography to rely on. So I think that should certainly Start helping people
1: when there's more knowledge and awareness, get to grips with the technology more. So a couple of few years ago, I thought that the um, um, blockchain, uh, sorry, yeah, the blockchain crypto um, revolution was going to be led by the public. But now I believe that it's going to be led by industry because industry, it's much easier to to educate industry about the benefits of, of the blockchain than it is the average person who keeps reading about hacks and keeps reading about it's a scam, keeps reading about the volatility and, you know, who really don't know much about it at all. So it's going to be the corporations and funnily enough, it's going to be people like banks that um, that lead the charge into blockchain, isn't it? Am I right or am I wrong? I, yeah, and I think that makes
2: sense. You know, blockchain is a, a technology, so yeah. it enables things. But it enables products, new ways of working, but it, it isn't something that exists in and of itself. So sure. you have to apply it somewhere. Yeah. So it makes sense that industry needs this because they need to figure out the use cases where it can sensibly be applied, whether that's to save cost on trade, as a uh, use of provenance, as a uh, real-time trading and settlement network, you know, whatever it may be, it has to be fit around a product and and that has to be fitted around a user need. So the businesses and the industry should be leading it, but it, it will really be for the customers at the end of the day.
1: Yep. So, how do you, how do you see the future of digital assets in five to ten years' time? Do you, do you see it... Um, replacing fiat or taking a big slice out of the fiat market? Because neither of them are really backed by much. <laughs> the American dollars... Exactly. American dollars <laughs> backed by exactly nothing. <laughs>
2: exactly. And a lot of people forget this. You know, the gold standard was removed uh, certainly before I was born. So yeah. when people... Uh, give the criticism of of bitcoin or any cryptocurrency then it's not backed by anything yeah Uh, yeah, we need to kind of look closer to home of what's in our in our kind of pockets of fear as well for that so i think for me certainly it I don't think it will replace fiat in total. I think it will complement fiat. It will complement the digital currencies that maybe the banks and central banks look at introducing, and it will be an alternative payment mechanism. Maybe more so in the developing market than the developed market. Uh, it's easy to look at things with a, a Western kind of uh, tinge on with, on that and say, "Oh, because it isn't used as the main payment mechanism in the UK, it's failed." Well, actually, if you look at some of the developing markets, certainly across Africa, Africa, Bitcoin has a really good use case there in areas where the political climate is troubled or banks are even less trusted as they are in the, in the Western Hemisphere. So I think we need to really kind of judge the, the successes of digital currencies, not just in one jurisdiction, but in the value that they're providing across different industries, countries, use cases. I think, though, we will see a decrease in the number of digital assets. As I said before, you know, there's thousands of cryptos. Not all are going to survive. That's completely unsustainable. You don't want to walk into Starbucks and pay with Starbucks coin and then go next door to, to, you know, Costa and pay with Costa coin. That would be really user unfriendly. So what we'll probably see is, you know, the the top cryptos surviving, maybe some utility tokens specifically uh, that have, you know, really good application coming through and the rest probably dying off. Uh, I do think we'll see an increase in tokenization. so that's across anything from traditional assets uh, like real estate, art, to financial products, yeah, yeah. and that will hopefully provide greater transparency, provenance, of ownership, as well as you know more diversity in ownership itself. So yes. I think are some really exciting areas. Blockchain, I am incredibly bullish on on how that's going to kind of hopefully change many industries. I don't think it will replace everything because it's not a panacea Uh, but we should see some really clever use cases of it and we are actually already seeing some really good use cases of it but some of the value it provides is just getting businesses to look again at their tech stack and see that there's a better way of doing things and we've seen that in banks where they've tried say a POC of blockchain and, and thought actually this isn't the best technology to use but we could just improve what we have by, let's say, migrating to the cloud. So I think that's a really good value that it's brought, and we'll hopefully see that value continue over the next five to ten
1: years. It's amazing the applications that are using blockchain. I have um, I know of um, a group that's, um, I'm not sure of the word, it, that, Is using it for produce and is now about to go into livestock and whatever, so that they can track, you know, almost down to the paddock in the farm where the product originated. And so you don't have a situation where in California we had a um, Salmonella uh, scare and they didn't know where the hell the what farm the Salmonella was on. So all COS lettuce had to be destroyed when um, using. blockchain they could isolate the actual paddock where the um, where the problem was um, got another friend who's um, um, using blockchain with art to protect yes. provenance and, and a whole bunch of other advantages of it um, one in Africa that's using it for aid um, there are governments that are using it to track welfare payments etc so it's it's is very well very widespread.
2: Yeah, sure. And I was working as fairly uh, recently on a project out in Hong Kong with a charity there and they're using blockchain to track workers' contracts. So yeah. the idea is there that um once you let's say a migrant worker comes over and they sign a contract Occasionally and and more often actually than uh, it should be, they're exploited with the terms changed and they have no recourse to the original contract because it was either in another language or taken away at the point of signing. So this project allows migrant workers to store their contracts on there. And then if there's a dispute, they're able to refer directly to that. And that's been used in many, many uh, countries now uh, around the world. And is a fantastic example of how blockchain can be used for social goods. So there's so many exciting projects out there using blockchain to literally transform people's lives. And I think that's really
1: exciting. Yeah, I do too. So where's PR9 Network going in the next five years?
2: Well, we're certainly looking at building out the proposition, uh, working with our council and the network participants to make sure that we're building a platform that is scalable, usable, really user-friendly and addresses the key needs in the market, which is security and the ability to trade. So for us, it's uh, really the next year certainly is about building out the product, making sure that it's secure. That's something which you know we want to complement the security that cold storage provides with a really secure platform ourselves. We're going to be aggressively chasing regulation in the jurisdictions that we're working with. Um, and as I said, building out a really user-friendly product. So for us, yeah, going into build, uh, working with us, as many custodians uh, as we can in a uh, scalable manner to build out a really useful product, which should you know, hopefully provides a lot of people with the opportunity to trade their assets
1: as well as keeping them secure in cold storage. Tara, thank you very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, if you'd like to contact Tara or find out more about PR9 Network, go to pr9.com. Network dot network. So PR nine period network. Period network. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard radio show on Voice America Business after this short break.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to Bob at BobPritchard.com. That's Bob at BobPritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight
1: Talking Absolutely No Bullshit Business Radio Show on Voice America Business Network, and we're broadcasting today across the world from Mexico City in Mexico. Now, while wireless carriers around the world are beginning to deploy 5G, I think in Los Angeles will be 5G by probably the end of the month. Now, 5G is the latest and greatest in mobile broadband technology, like the evolution that came from 3G to 4G, but the jump to 5G is enormous, and it'll mean faster speeds, lower latency, and a whole bunch of other benefits. It's a major boost for businesses, gamers, live streamers, everybody that needs speed capacity. It could be a huge leap in other way too. 5G is so much faster than 4G and has so much less latency that it could become the platform for all sorts of brand new services we haven't had before. Of course, there are also downsides. To enjoy the benefits of 5G, you'll need to upgrade to a smartphone that's compatible with the new networks. Are you sick of upgrading your bloody phones? It's unbelievable, isn't it? Every time you turn around, you've got to upgrade your phone. And privacy experts are worried that 5G could help law enforcement track suspects' movements in ways that could violate their rights. Doesn't worry me. Like my mother used to say, if you haven't done anything wrong, you've got nothing to worry about. But the fake news health concerns circulating online about 5G networks, that 5G is going to cause all sorts of diseases and cancers and things – It is all bullshit. They have no basis in science whatsoever. Now, 5G is a new cellular network technology. It can transmit data much more quickly than 4G. In fact, 20 times faster than 4G. Um, But it also requires towns and cities to set up a much higher number of small cells or short-range transmitters to provide the same geographic coverage as 4G, but it um, the time it takes to move back and forth, meaning the apps and service you use like video chat and mobile gaming, will be much, much quicker. It could also enable disruptive new wireless innovations, potentially powering the next big tech unicorn like a uh, an Uber or a Snapchat. As I mentioned, 5G networks will be 20 times faster than 4G, meaning you could download, for example, Avengers Endgame in the time it takes Thanos to snap his fingers. Latency could be as low as 1 millisecond compared with 50 for 4G. So you'll need a new phone to use. 5g smartphone makers like samsung and motorola they're already rolling out 5g compatible phones apple's following suit you can still use your current smartphone on 4g networks until you're ready to upgrade so that's at least some good news the four major wireless carriers are introducing 5g coverage in dozens of cities this year and next including atlanta denver los angeles washington well, the big cities, and 5G coverage within cities may be limited at first to some areas, but it will be rolled out reasonably quickly. Now, the technology could revolutionise businesses from agriculture to manufacturing. Factory owners could use it to control their robots. Farmers could use it to keep tabs on autonomous smart tractors. Car makers see it as a key technology for self-driving cars, which enables um, self-driving vehicles to talk to one another about road conditions and save them from bumping into one another. And like other groundbreaking technologies before it, 5G promises to unleash a wave of technology and innovative new startups that we can't even dream about yet. So privacy advocates Worry that 5G could make it easier for law enforcement and others to track a person's whereabouts with absolutely pinpoint precision as their phone connects to multiple cells and the cells are closer together, don't forget. They also have concerns about its potential to greatly improve facial recognition software. However, conspiracy theories circulating online claiming that 5G signals are linked to cancer, they'll keep pumping that out and it's probably the people who have got an interest in not having 5g that are pushing that line the national oceanic and atmospheric administration in the us has warned that 5g may put weather forecasting back several decades this is a serious issue and according to studies by nasa and, uh, and NOAA and the current plan would reduce data collected on passive microwaves by 77% and degrade the forecast skills by up to 30%. And this will take us back to somewhere around 1980. This will mean in the, re- the reduction of the hurricane track time by two to three days. And that is a major problem. So that reduces um, the warning time for... Um, hurricanes, to 75% of today's warnings. That is the major problem, although even taking that into account 5G is a giant leap forward. Remember, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. It's easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. If you're always trying to be normal, you will always be boring. Boring. And you'll never know how amazing and interesting, interesting you can be if you really push the envelope. I hope you can join me again next Tuesday when I'll again be back in Los Angeles. In the meanwhile, have a great week. Continue to be
0: successful because the alternative really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.